0: Uh, today we dun 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 da da series. Habitudes. Uh, in this series. We've looked at the habits that have been formed in this church uh, for the last five years. And if you've been here for five years, um, you've uh, actually had these formed in your life to be here for the last five years and what we've been through together uh, as a church. I mean, God has really formed a lot of these different habitudes in our lives. Habitudes are the habitual practices and essential. Everyone say essential. They're not optional, right? They are the essential attitudes in the life of growing Christ followers. So listen, if there's something wrong with your altitude, how many know you got to check your attitude, right? If something is wrong, come on, with your altitude in life, come on, how many know you got to check your attitude about life? And so far, we've talked about this call to maturity. This is one of the things I believe is on the Lord's heart for us in 2023 that God wants to move us from a place of infancy to intimacy with Him, to have a personal relationship. And many of us have a personal relationship with Jesus. But how many know we always have room to grow? We can always get closer to Jesus. Amen. Pastor Damien talked about empathy and this ability to put on other people's shoes and how important that is in our context, and we can't let culture hijack that word. It's a kingdom word, and we're going to continue to walk in other people's shoes, put our, our, our feet in other people's shoes and walk with them. Last week, I talked about living in Christ's abundance, and these are all necessary if we're going to become mature. Mature means what? Whole and complete. How many want to be whole in 2023? How many want to be... All right, three people in the back. Hallelujah. (laughs) But today we're going to look at the fourth habitude. We have five. The five is going to be all about December. It's it's lifting humanity. It's releasing compassion to our world. And so all of December is going to be about that. But the fourth habitude is what we're going to talk to address today. Our culture places a high value on leadership. Leadership is emphasized more than discipleship in our church strategies and our structures. Yet if you search for the word leader in the most traditional translations um, in the New Testament, uh, translations like the King James or the New King James or the New American Standard The word leader hardly surfaces. In fact, when you do see the word leader mentioned, the word leader is usually not associated with something very positive. Can I give you an example? Matthew 15, 14, it says this, let them alone, talking about the religious folks of the day, the Pharisees, they are blind leaders of the blind and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Now, how many know leadership by itself comes with blind spots? It doesn't discount the importance of leadership. That's not what I'm up here to do, but it should cause us as believers to examine our approach to leadership. For the church, leadership without discipleship doesn't work. And the reason why I know it doesn't work, because, listen, if someone is just a leader and they don't consider themselves a disciple of Christ, listen, we see leaders crashing all the time, making a mess of their lives, making a mess of their churches, making a mess, period, why? Because they forgot what it was like to follow. And check that out. My message has just switched. There we go. (laughs) Hallelujah. For the church, leadership without discipleship doesn't work. I think one of the greatest mistakes of the modern day church is that we've called everyone to be a leader instead of first calling them to be a follower. You see, it's our ability to follow that qualifies us to lead. The great leaders of the New Testament church didn't start as leaders. They started by accepting the simple invitation from Jesus to follow me. I think we've become so enamored by leadership in the body of Christ that we have forgotten who we're following. We're trying to be like this leader. We're trying to be like this leader over here, or this church over there, instead of following Jesus into what he's called us to be. How many know he wants us to be more like Jesus? Which brings me to introducing you to the fourth habitude, which we normally call leading humbly, but today I'm gonna introduce to you the fourth habitude as kingdom greatness. The habitude of greatness is defined as this, a renewed call to humility, sacrifice, and service. This is the habitude of greatness, the renewed call to humility, sacrifice, and service. You see, greatness in the kingdom, comes with a process. Everybody say process. Packaged in problems, pitfalls, and pain, meant to prepare you for his plan and his purposes. You see, his purpose is usually developed on what I want to talk to you a little bit more about today. His process is usually developed in the wilderness. Everybody say wilderness. You see, I've talked with several people over the last several months, and as they're pouring out their heart and they're sharing what season or what phase of life they're in, I've, I've actually revealed to them, listen, there's nothing wrong with you, but you're walking in a wilderness season, and God is desiring to develop something in your life that hasn't existed before, and you got to stop resisting it, and you have to start saying yes to it. You see, nothing's wrong with you. Come on, it's something that God wants to develop in your life. His purpose is usually developed in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. Let's look at it together. It says, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Who led them there? You mean the devil didn't do it? No, no, it says, the Lord led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to do what? Here's the purpose of the wilderness to humble you and test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse three, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. And he fed you. How many know where God leads, he feeds? Come on, how many like to eat? Come on, where he leads you, he feeds you? He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. I love this, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, God will use the wilderness season in your life to form greatness in your life. Again, greatness, the renewed call to humility, sacrifice, and service. God will take you through the wilderness to get you through your woundedness. God will take you through the wilderness to deliver you from the worldliness. How many know? Come on, he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, but it took them 40 years, come on, to get Egypt out of them. And he'll do the same in us. God will take you through the wilderness to reassure you that he can use your weakness. And God will bring you through the wilderness until you hear, obey, and trust his voice. Until, listen, you are trusting every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is what I call prophetic leadership. Listen, where I'm being led and fed by his word on a daily basis. I'm walking in the spirit. I'm walking in the word. I'm walking in his purpose. But sometimes I have to go through a wilderness So I'll get to that place in my life. You see, you're not in the wilderness because you did anything wrong. You're in the wilderness because God led you there to develop greatness in your life. Now, before we get too down and discouraged, how many know Jesus went through a wilderness? And how many know if Jesus went through a wilderness, you and I may have to go through a wilderness? Matthew 4, 1 to 4. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Here it is, right? This is a Holy Spirit thing that God does in our life. It's not the enemy. This is the Holy Spirit leading Jesus to the wilderness place to be tempted by the devil. Jesus went through the wilderness and on the other side of the wilderness... He got ministered to, and his greatest days of ministry awaited him. This is what I want to ask you. Listen, whatever season you're walking through, whatever wilderness you're walking through, what is waiting for you on the other side? Don't lose hope this morning. Don't get discouraged this morning. Don't quit this morning. Listen, you are in a wilderness, and on the other side awaits a promise that God wants to use your life. But he's developing humility. He's developing sacrifice and service in your life. Verse 11, if you go to Matthew 4, you can read this. It says about Jesus' experience. In the, after his experience, it says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Come on, how do you know angels are waiting for you on the other side? Now, one of, the, one of the things that we ask is how long does this wilderness experience last? Well, we, all, we know from uh, the Bible that an 11-day journey turned into a 40-year wandering because they were resistant to God's, they didn't humble themselves. They resisted what God wanted to do in their lives, and they wandered around in the wilderness, the Israelites, for 40 years years. How many know that's a long time? You see, we know the number 40 is the biblical number for transition. We, we know it took Israel 40 years to get to the promised land because they didn't deal with their hearts. The Bible says they were stubborn. Anybody know anybody that's stubborn? Amen. Over here. All right. It took 40 days for Jesus to transition into full-time ministry. You see, God uses the wilderness in your life to get you from here to there. In other words, where you're at is not where you're going to stay. Where you're at is just the starting point of where God is taking you. God wants to get you out of bondage Into breakthrough. He wants to take you from being prideful to being humble, from testing to trusting every word that proceeds out of his mouth, from your pain to purpose, from a setback to success, from failure to favor, from immaturity to maturity. In other words, God wants to make you whole again. You see, God's pathways lead us through wilderness experiences which humble us. Everybody say, humble us. us. They test us and they search us. Here's the key to make us totally dependent on Him. I remember when Amy and I moved to Houston. Now, Houston was a wilderness for us. We were only there for 10 months. It was a 10-month wilderness. But the Lord separated us from the familiar. We moved to Houston. If you've ever been to Houston, you know it's a different planet down there. And we were in Houston, and what God was teaching me is, listen, don't trust man for your provision. Trust me for your provision. That was a hard thing for me to do. We went there to help plant a church. Three months in, they called off the church plant, and here I am in Houston. Hallelujah. (laughs) I didn't have a job. I mean, I was, I was, I, I didn't, so I I went out. I got a job. I, I mean, God provided. There was just crazy things. I would go to my mailbox. There would be checks in there that would say, oh, the Lord laid you on our heart from people that we know. We didn't have medical insurance. I know, Amy was like, oh me, not amen. She was like, we don't have medical insurance. Someone knew a doctor, they connected with us. Amy was pregnant at the time with Mariah. I mean, God took care of us. But listen, I had to go through the wilderness and humble myself to realize that God could provide for me in ways that I never thought he could. You see, we've been conditioned to want greatness without process. We want greatness without pain. We want greatness without problems. We want greatness, I'll add this one, without people in our lives. We want greatness, come on, without difficulties. We want greatness without trials. You see, when we think of greatness, we think of the grit and grind that we've committed to to get something done. And I'm not uh, discounting the grit and the grind, but don't forget the grace, Because when God calls you to greatness, it has nothing to do with what you can do on your own. It has everything to do with God's grace on your life and what God can give to you through the grit and the grind. Come on, I know you need to put some grace on your grit and you need to get some grace on your grind this morning. James 4, 6 says he gives more grace. Everybody say "More more grace. Therefore, he says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Therefore, everybody say therefore. When you hear a there, when you read a therefore in scripture, you got to ask yourself, what is it therefore? And a lot of times, listen, we're in our wilderness time, and we're resisting God's development process in our lives, and we're blaming the devil. We're calling Pastor Damien. Will you counsel me? The enemy's attacking me. Pastor Dean, the enemy's breaking loose in my family. And the problem is not the devil. The promise is you haven't submitted yourself to God. You haven't listened to your pastor. You haven't listened to anybody's advice in your life. And listen, you're not butting heads with the devil, you're butting heads with God. And James says, if you want grace in your life, submit to God. Resist the devil, and then he will flee. How many know you can resist the devil all you want? But if you're not submitted to God, he ain't going nowhere. (laughs) You see, greatness requires us to first embrace the grace. Everybody say, embrace the grace. That gets us through the pain, the process included in God's process. I think as followers of Christ, we have to be mature enough to know it's the hard stuff that keeps us humble and prepares us for greatness in the kingdom. Again, greatness is the renewed call to humility, sacrifice, and service. Look at verse three with me again. It says that he might make you know. That he might make you know. That in the midst of the wilderness, listen, you would have a revelation, listen, of what God is developing in your life. That you wouldn't be clueless, but no, no, he would make you know. Look at this. He would make you Know that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, he's making you. God is changing your mind in the wilderness. He can be changing your perspective in the wilderness. And as you humble yourself, how many know he's molding you? And as you submit to the testing, how many know God is shaping you? And he's showing you what's been in your heart that's been holding you back from trusting his word what is holding you back from trusting every word that's been proceeding out of his mouth over your life you see he wants to know that you can live by his every word this morning you see when Jesus called the disciples to follow him in Matthew four nineteen, he said I will make you in other words they weren't yet He said, I will make you fishers of men. They weren't fishers of men yet. They were fishermen, but they weren't fishers of men. And God had to do something in their life. He had to give them a love for one another. Come on, how you know the disciples fought. Come on, they argued. They they didn't have this like kumbaya, small group. No, no, they rubbed each other the wrong way. He says, I will make you into fishers of men. The word make there means to produce, to construct, to form, and to fashion, to make you ready and to prepare you, to produce in you, come on, lasting fruit. How many want to bear lasting fruit? And this is what this word is saying, Jesus is saying, I will make you, I will produce in you, I will construct in you, I will form in you, and I will fashion you to be whatever he's called you to be. You see, a lot of us are going through the wilderness, and we, this is what we feel. We feel like God's project. And how do you know he's not done with you yet? Come on, that he's got to, he does have to chisel away at our lives Sometimes. But how many know Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But listen, God is working on you so you can do good work. Come on, how many know you are good work? You're God's work, but he's working on you so you can do good work work. What I want us to see is the invitation to become a follower of Jesus is connected to a process that comes with a promise to prepare you and produce in you something greater than what you are currently experiencing right now. But many of us fight the process. Everybody say process. Process. Many of us fight the process because it's packaged in humility Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. How many know that's pride? (laughs) We we don't call that pride. Many times it's packaged in sacrifice, giving, and generosity, taking that step, trusting, believing God for something greater than where you're currently at, service, Every week, ready to serve. It's so encouraging to see this body respond. Hey, I want to plug in. I had somebody after first service come up. Hey, how do I get connected? How do I get plugged in? You see, Jesus said, I will make you. Everybody say, I will make you. You see, it's a promise to prepare you and to form you and to fashion you into a servant leader. Everybody say, servant leader. And it's a promise to produce in your life a life that bears fruit. How many know what being pruned? What's being pruned isn't pretty. I said that our first eighteen months here as leaders, because there was we were we were transitioning, and it seemed like I don't know every couple of weeks there was a staff in transition. And finally, I just got up to the church. I got up in front of the church and I said, "Well, church, what we're experiencing, we're being pruned, and what being what when we're being pruned, it's not pretty. But how many know that's just one season of a plant?" Because how many know when spring comes? Come on, flowers are shooting forth, buds are shooting forth, and then in the, at the end of by the end of spring, the flowers are in full bloom. You see, you might be getting pruned today, but listen, don't lose sight of when God is going to flourish you in the future. I went through a two-year wilderness time. I went through several wildernesses, but one of the times was 2004 and 2006. It was a two-year wilderness. It was one of those, it should have been two days, but I turned it into two years. We had uh, closed, uh, we had attempted to launch a church, and the church, 18 months in, we decided to close the doors, and I wasn't disappointed in God, I was disappointed in people, and because I didn't deal with my disappointment, how you know God had to deal with me, (laughs) and I allowed that disappointment to turn into disillusionment, and I got sarcastic. People would say, are you going to get back in ministry? And I tried to run away from ministry, how, you know, you can't run away from the call of God. <laughs> and I met leaders would, pastors would reach out to me, leaders would reach out to me, they would take me to lunch, and I would just go, man, I'm just going to, you know, When I'm, you know, I'm just gonna wait for that call and I remember one guy telling me, he's like, well, you're gonna be waiting a long time because God's already called you. And I remember getting a phone call from Dr. Sam Huddleston, who's our uh, uh, assistant superintendent over the Northern California Assemblies of God and he said, hey, can I take you to lunch? And he took me to Brookfields right over there off of Highway 50 on sunrise there. And I remember he said a lot of things to me that day to get me into shape, but one of the things that I remember, he had a story about a question he used to ask his father when he was going through a rough time. And a conversation would go something like this. He would say, Dad, why is life so hard? Anybody ever ask that question? Why is life so, why is it so difficult? Why is it always hard? And he said it'd be a long pause between the time he asked the question and he got an answer. But then his dad would reply, because it's your turn. In other words, everyone has a turn. How many know it rains on the just and the unjust? In other words, everyone has a turn to go through something to get them to something. Hear my heart in this. A lot of times we want to be great leaders, but we don't want to follow the Lord through anything too difficult. Many times we want to be great leaders, but we don't want to follow the Lord through anything that's going to cost us too much. The price of sacrifice is too much. And unfortunately, even more dangerous, we want to be leaders without having to submit our lives and be accountable to anyone. We want to do our own Thing. But here's the good news Jesus came to be the perfect model of greatness. Amen? Amen? Jesus came to us in the form of a servant, yet served us from the position of a king. He came in humility, but he served from a place of royal authority. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In John three sixteen, it says that Jesus, knowing the Father, had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God. After dinner, he pushed his chair back. He got up. He excuses himself from the table, and he comes back with a towel wrapped around his right waist, and he pours water into a basin, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. You guys know, maybe remember the conversation, if you know this story, Jesus, Jesus is going around. He starts to wash the disciples' feet, and Peter is looking at his feet, and he's like, the Lord's not washing my feet. <laughs> he's like, he hasn't seen these toes. Anybody got toes? Like you know, He's like, the Lord's not touching me. And the Lord said, if you don't let me wash your, your feet, you don't have any part of me. Jesus was trying to teach them a valuable lesson. Number one, his identity as the son of God didn't lead Jesus to be arrogant and entitled, unwilling to do what needed to be done to accomplish redemption. His identity didn't cause him to assess that he was too good for the task. No, his identity motivated and propelled him to do what the disciples were convinced was below them. You see, this is why our identity, Identification in Christ is so critical to our walk because when you know who you are in Christ, you have a revelation that what you do doesn't define you. It actually refines you. And this morning, I wanted to just take a few moments to invite some real-life examples of greatness. I'm going to ask Rennell Langston, and Jean and Judy to come up and stand right here, please. Where's Ranel? Ronell, come on down. None of them know what's happening. So I want you guys to stand right in the middle here. And I just want to brag on you a little bit. And in fact, I could give out hundreds of these awards today because we have so many great people here. But these folks have been absolutely amazing. I want to start off with Ronell. Ronell... For five years, I mean, and long before I got here, by the yeah. way, yeah. she has not missed a day. I mean, that I am aware. I mean, never do we get a late last minute call from now saying, hey, I'm not going to. No, she is always yeah. here. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you publicly for your greatness in modeling for our kids what it means to serve. Now, we have a thing around here called towels, not titles, and this says, today, I'm thanking God for your greatness, Renelle Alford, on November 27, 2022, for your humility, service, and sacrifice. Can we give it up? Come on. My buddy Langston. Uh, Langston came here, I believe, his senior year of high school. He he actually almost didn't come to real life. He was happy where he was at, and uh, he came, and he kept coming. Next thing you know, he graduates. He's still coming. Now he's serving. And we call we we say we say Langston is at, he's got a he's at key status. Yes. Yes. He's one of the only non-staff members that actually has a key to the joint, all right? Because you can trust this young man. Yeah. God is developing in him something amazing. Now that you know he has a key, don't call Langston and say, Can I get me into the church? He's not gonna let you. But hey, I just want to say man, I am so proud of you being an example to our young people number 1, but number 2 to all of us around here to show what it means to give your all, your 100 and my coach used to say 110%. It don't take 100, it takes 110%. And you give 100% and more to the kingdom. And I know that God is going to bless you mightily. And I just wanted to say thank you for your greatness. And then Jean and Judy, I mean, this couple, I think they're on staff, but I mean, they're here all the time. And, uh, uh, Gene has done numerous uh, pr- uh, counseling appointments. Now he's involved with SAC Healing, and he sets up for. Does a I mean, here all the time. Just has a heart for people. Not only a heart for people, but this man has a heart for God. And uh, I told people you weren't here, but I said when 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 I grow up, I want to be just like Gene. He's down here at the altar. Come on, how you know? It could be easier for him to just say, you know what? My legs hurt. I'm just going to sit right here. But he's up here leading us in worship and just saying, here I am, Lord. And then Judy, I just wanted to just say, Judy comes in every Monday morning and more, and she does the count for us and does all the data entry. And I know she prays over our finances because you know how I know she's a powerful prayer? Because our finances have increased since day one, (laughs) since I've got here. And uh, I just want to honor you both. I know it could have been a lot easier to leave several times. A lot of your friends left when it got hard, but you said, you know what? God has called us here, and I just want to publicly just say thank you for your greatness. I love you guys. Love y'all. Come on, can we give them a hand? Love y'all. Hallelujah. You guys are good. Bless you guys. Can you hang with me for just a couple of more minutes? You guys going to give me permission? All right. You're like, no, dude, I'm hungry right now. Cut it. All right. But this leads me to my close, and it's this. Greatness in the kingdom is not measured by who is below you. It is, by, it is measured by understanding that nothing is beneath you. Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, as we close the day greatness in the kingdom is not achieved by a ladder you climb. It's marked by humility, sacrifice, and service. Greatness in the kingdom always starts with me first following and submitting my life to Jesus saying yes to God's process so that I can experience God's promise. A sign of greatness for a servant leader is that they're always looking out for the best interest of others around them, not just their own. And because a sign of greatness is not that God has called you to make me look great, But it's an an indicator of greatness is that because we are doing life together, there is something greater happening in us and through us. And that's what it's about. It's not about the church Dean is building. It's about, come on, us being the church and what God is building in us and through us. Thank you again for joining us. We pray that message ministered to your heart, and lifted your spirit today. Hey, to find out more about joining the RLC online family, you can find us on the Church Center app. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. God bless you.